0: reading today is taken from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 16, verses 3 to 16. Um, please bear with me, there are a lot of interesting names in this passage, so just in case you were thinking of naming your child one of these names, pay close attention. Uh, the reading's on page 6, by the way. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my friend, Appenitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me they are outstanding among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was greet Ampliatus my dear friend in the Lord greet Urbanus our co-worker in Christ and my dear friend Stachus. greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus greet Herodian my fellow Jew Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petropas. Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Thank you,
1: Brother Classe. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the vision of our church being the kickoff season for the fall part of our year, Uh, back to school in more than one way. And so we're going to be looking at a few themes from the Bible that serve as the foundation for who we're trying to be as a church and what we're trying to do as a church community by the power of God's Grace. And so you should find in your bulletin in front of you on page eight, a quick summary statement of the vision and the mission of the church. Uh, and what I want to point out to you is, is that in starting this church just a few short years ago, that our goal was never just simply to build a great church for ourselves. But rather, our goal was that through this church, that we would participate in the building of a great neighborhood. And so we have a passion here to see our local neighbors, their lives, and our local neighborhood flourish. Yes, spiritually, to flourish spiritually, but also socially, economically relationally, in every sphere of life. Because, without a doubt, God has been so good to the people of this local surrounding community. The people of Columbia Heights, of Adams Morgan, and Mount Pleasant, and the surrounding neighborhoods. Life here on these surrounding blocks, I mean, you know it. It's why so many of you live around here. It is presently vibrant and beautiful and glorious. It's a good part of the city to live in, to work in, to play in. And yet, isn't it the truth that life here is also presently very broken? Very broken. There's poverty and there's pride, division and loneliness and social injustice Self-centeredness, depression, violence, addiction, apathy, anger, all of these things stemming ultimately from our broken relationship with God. And so we want to be a church, therefore, that labors joyfully to see little flashes and foretastes of what life here in this neighborhood could actually be. What life here and what this neighborhood here. Might be if Jesus were king, if the grace of God really broke through in a powerful way, if God changed our lives. And so you see there on the vision statement in front of you that our vision is a humble longing for a Jesus-healed neighborhood. We put there a true neighborhood neighborhood that gives glimpses of God's coming kingdom, a local community, as God always intended it to be. Do you want to be a part of that kind of community? Do you want to live in that kind of neighborhood? That's where our sights are set upon, even beyond these pews, even beyond the faces that you see here in this room a vision for the neighborhood. And so you say, well that sounds great. But where do we start? How do you do that? Where should we go? What should we do? How can this vision be realized? And that's where the church's mission comes in. As you see again printed there in your bulletins, our mission is to build a gospel community that is spiritually diverse, cross-cultural and neighborhood centered for the good of our neighbors and the glory of Jesus Christ in Columbia Heights, Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan. And beyond, and that is loaded up with so many words and ideas, and of course it would take a long time to unpack it all. It deserves further explanation. That's what we're trying to do in this brief sermon series over these couple of weeks. Last week we started by unpacking a little bit of this word gospel, the gospel of grace. Today we're looking at this one idea, actually one aspect of this one idea, that we are here for community. Let me pause and ask god to help us as we ponder this god we need your help because our minds and hearts maybe already are full of ideas some right and some wrong about this notion of community relationships our need for connection and we pray that you would bless now this time that you would make it fruitful give us help we need your help we need your spirit in christ's name we pray amen. A hospital and a human body. A hospital and a human body, two word pictures, among many, many others that the Bible gives us to describe what sorts of places the Christian church is meant to be. First, a hospital where Jesus is called the great physician, a place Where spiritually sick and broken people are welcomed, are expected to be here. A place where people find healing. Is that why you're here, maybe? A place where people's lives are changed. I mean, imagine going to a hospital, whether Howard Hospital, down the street, Providence Hospital, Georgetown Hospital... You show up at the front door of the ER, and someone there standing at the door tells you, no, no, sorry, 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 no sick people allowed. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine someone telling you, come back when you feel better. Clean yourself up. Be whole before you step in here. And yet, so often, isn't that the message of many churches, religious communities that gather together? No, this place isn't for the sick, it's for the well. Jesus says, you've got it in reverse. The grace of God is powerful to heal. Jesus is a savior for those who need to be saved because of their sin and brokenness. That's good news, because that counts me in. You needy, you spiritually hungry, lost, you feeling weary you hanging on by a thread. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need to learn how to repent, to reconcile? Is that you? Welcome, my friend. Community, Christian community, ought to be hospital community. It also also ought to be a human body community. Another picture we find in Scripture. A human body with all different sorts of, of body parts, not all looking the same, not all doing the same thing, but every person with your unique personality and shape being valuable, necessary for the healthy functioning of the church community so that every single person feels drawn in and compelled to contribute, not simply operating as a consumer but as a vital participant in the supernatural thing that God is doing here and through us out there. It's an amazing vision of the complementarity, the way that we fit together as people, the way in which we need to live and operate, communicating to each other, I need you. We need you. Can we work together? Can we labor together as partners, as the body of Christ? A hospital, a human body. But today I want to focus on a special passage that tells us about one special aspect of living in Christian community. It's a passage that comes at the very end of the book of Romans, which if you may know is one of the most massive and magisterial explanations of the Christian gospel, of all that God has done for humanity and Jesus Christ, which is why it's almost confusing to land at the end of this letter to the Roman Christian Church, written by the Apostle Paul, this long list of (laughs) shout-outs. What a strange thing. But embedded here is an all-important lesson that i want to camp out on briefly and then invite some questions for a little bit of Q&A. And it's this vital ingredient of true gospel community, and that's affection. Affection. Do you know that the good news of Jesus compels us To feel, and to offer, and to share, and to nurture relationships of affection toward one another. But what is that, and who is that for, and how do we do that? That's what we're going to look at briefly. First, what do we mean by affection? Notice this passage is a long list of personal greetings, lots of names and different people that the Apostle is reaching out to to say hello. Notice a few of the words that Paul uses. He says again and again, greet this person, greet that person. Priscilla and Aquila, and this church and that church, and Epinetus and Junia and Andronicus and Herodian and all these different people. This word greet is more than simply saying hi to my buddies, that expression that Paul uses there in the original Greek actually comes from the word embrace. This is Paul, the same person who wrote this letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, listen to the words and expressions that Paul uses there to that church. He says, I Hold you in my heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me. God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Affection, the word translated there literally means I feel you in my gut. That deeply within me. That's what affection feels like. Affection is holding a person in your heart. Affection is something, for example, that's cultivated when you linger over a person as you pray for them day in and day out. It's almost as if you are evoking the person themselves in your soul and you ponder them, they're becoming real within your heart as if they're right there with you. You want to cultivate affection for a person in the gospel? Pray for them a lot. Four times Paul calls these individuals, my dear friend. Affection is when people are dear To you. In fact, the word Paul uses there literally is not my dear friend, but my beloved. We don't use that word too often these days, do we? My beloved Epinatus, my beloved Ampliatus, my beloved Stachis, my beloved Persis, my beloved. Is that a word maybe that we need to bring back? into our vocabulary, and not just for the special few, but for the normal way in which we relate to one another in Christian community. C.S. Lewis, the Christian English author, describes affection as a warm comfortableness, the satisfaction of being together. Affection is appreciating a person for who they are. Affection isn't, it's not hot, like romantic love, or or even hot, like radically self-sacrificial love, and the Bible blesses and calls us to both of those kinds of love in appropriate ways. But affection, rather, is warm. It's the warmth of fondness. And familiarity. And sort of like an old blanket. Uh, It's when a person has become dear to me. Someone that you cherish in your heart. And here's why it's so important for us to remember the importance of affection in our relationships. And why it's so easy for us to forget about it and overlook it. Yes, love is a verb, as it's popular to point out, and rightly so. Love is sacrificial giving. Love is doing, not just fuzzy feeling. Yes, true, absolutely. But, as the Apostle Paul also wrote in the well-known 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage, I can give all I possess to the poor hmm, and surrender my body to the flames. Sacrifice and still not love. It is possible to be a serving community without being a truly loving It is possible to share your stuff without at all sharing yourself. It is possible to open your hands without opening your heart and letting a person in where you have them and hold them and carry them with you. It is possible to say you love people without ever actually liking the people around you. Isn't it? Paul is calling us, can we put it this way, to a community of like. And for some of us, that's the hardest thing. Oh yeah, you're my brother and sister. No, and on some deep level, I know I love you in theory. But I don't really like you. It's possible to be a church community. And not be an affection giving community. Dear church, are we growing in our affection toward one another? Are we sharing words that express this? You mean so much to me. I I really appreciate you. I miss you. I. Love you. You really do encourage me. You know, maybe it's not even words. It's just a look on your face or the way in which you're present just for a moment. But it moves a person. You've experienced that. It's not always just your words because it comes from the heart. But it comes from more than just the heart. And it comes from more than just the words. Notice also. How the Apostle Paul calls us not just to nurturing affection internally, he calls us to express it even physically. Verse 16 greet one another with a what? A holy smooch, kiss. You say, Ho, ho, hold, hold on a second. We're going a little too far here. Sounds a little risky. Maybe a little threatening. Look, understand that in the ancient world, a kiss was a common form of respect, a way of showing affection, even reconciliation between two parties that used to be hostile to each other. This is simply a cultural form in that day and in that time of physically showing the affection of one's heart in relationship. Paul really means this. You know how I know that? Because this isn't the only time he says it to the churches. Almost almost habitually, he writes it again and again. Look, know Jesus and know his love for you. Yes, be changed by it and love one another, but don't just love in the abstract. Share a holy kiss here in this passage. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 Thessalonians 5, Peter the Apostle, 1 Peter chapter 5. Kiss, kiss, kiss. As one scholar put it, for Christians to show outwardly the tender affection that unites them as brothers and sisters in the Lord, this is what Paul is calling us to share. And so what does that look like for you and in this place and in this time? Or maybe it's a handshake, a warm and tender handshake. Uh, maybe it's a hug. Uh, maybe it's a tender hug. Uh, you know. Maybe it's a side hug. Uh, you know. Maybe it's a, a bro hug. You know. You know, tough guy hug. Right. It's there though. Right. You know. Maybe it is a kiss. But it's some physical expression of warmth and you know stories in your own life about the difference that that makes. I mean I can specifically call to mind moments in my life or people who are just good at doing this and how much it actually communicates to me and to my heart. I remember once being in line to talk to someone that was a prominent scholar and teacher and pastor someone that I admired a lot from afar. And being in line and wanting to get just a minute or two with that person. And finally, when I ended up face-to-face with him, what it meant for them not just to talk to me, but to put his hand on my shoulder and speak to me. Just a, a little bit of a holy kiss, as it were. Or, or, or another mentor of mine, someone that's almost become sort of a spiritual father figure of mine who every now and then I, I come in to say hello and maybe I'll put out my hand just by habit and he'll grab my hand but then he'll yank me in with wonderful affection. Yank me in close and give me a big bear hug almost as if to say I'll take your hand but that's not enough for me. I love you so. Or a handshake from one friend that I have in mind who, every time I shake his hand, it's a, it's a firm handshake. Sometimes it hurts. It's so firm. But I know it's intentional, the way he gives eye contact, and the way that I know he's showing and communicating respect. For one time, I remember when I was younger, just a terrible season in life with my mom, just broken and broken in our relationship. Communication just shut down, No ability to show any appreciation, though deep in my heart I knew it. An angry afternoon, yelling and screaming and kicking, and if I'm correct, hitting walls on my part. And yet, quietly remembering my mom stepping into the room. No words. I think she knew for her to say anything at that point probably would have made things worse. And she found me sitting on my bed and leaned over and gave me a hug. And we both burst into tears. The power of that physical form of affection. We need to think through this, of course, being sensitive to different cultural expressions of this, even across our different lives and pews. It communicates differently. We got to work through this as a people, as a community, as well as with different personalities. Some of you are like, look, man, don't be invading my private space here, all right? Back off. No holy kissing here, right? We get it. But even for you, can I say, there is some version, some form of this that must work for you. Because God made you not just a disembodied spiritual, emotional being. He gave you a body. And he means for you to connect in human community with people who are your brothers and sisters in Jesus physical means as well what is it for you more than ever i think this is important especially in this digital age where we can get so carried away in communicating in so many different digital electronic non-face-to-face let alone physical means right texting and emailing or even phoning people no human contact And we wonder why we're so relationally starving. What in this age might it look like to restore the central importance in community of the holy kiss? Okay, secondly, we'll move quickly through this. Secondly, not just what is it, but secondly, who is this for? Who are the objects of this kind of affection? Who does Paul, first of all, show such affection towards and what can we learn from it you know scholars when they look at this passage in Romans 16 they always point out again and again the wild mix of people that Paul lists out here the variety of people and their backgrounds you might notice for instance that nine of the people that Paul lists out of the 24 26 or so people that he has here nine of the people here are not just men but also women Priscilla Mary, Junia, Tryphena, Trifosa, whom scholars say were probably sisters, given their similarity in name. Rufus's mother, who in verse 13, Paul says, has been a mother to me too. Julia, Nereus's sister, Persis, whom Paul calls my dear friend. Again, and again, and again, we see not only brothers, not only brothers but also sisters in the mix and note that to show such personal and public regard to women in that day would not have been a small thing we also note here that paul greets jewish christians verse 7 greet andronicus and junia my fellow jews verse 11 Greet herodion my fellow jew but he also greets friends with greek and latin and roman names And also the name Persis in verse 12, it actually means Persian lady. And Rufus, who may have been from North Africa originally. Some of these people were married, Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3, husband and wife. Andronicus and Junia in verse 7, others were probably single. According to ancient inscriptions, the names Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philologus, and Julia were actually common names for slaves, likely now in the church. And on the other hand, Paul also greets Christians from wealthy and powerful families. It's quite likely that Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great and a friend of the emperor Claudius. Narcissus, similarly, was likely the well-known and rich and powerful freedman in Greco-Roman society. You notice here, Paul's affection cuts across gender lines, marital status lines, age and generational lines, cultural and ethnic lines, economic lines, by the power of the gospel that has brought into his life such a random mix of people that otherwise, humanly speaking, would have no business loving each other Like so. And let me point out to you why this is so significant. Because what we're talking about here is gospel affection, not simply natural affection. What we're talking about is the way in which the surprising love of Jesus so changes my life because He's forgiven me of my sins, He sacrificed for me, He died and rose again. To give me life, to reconcile me to God has so changed my life and my heart that now it gives me power to connect with people with whom it might not feel natural to connect with. This is gospel affection. This is a supernatural thing and not simply natural affection. In other words, we're not just talking about what you feel like towards people that are just like you. That's easy to feel. That kind of affinity, that kind of a draw. This here is a love that transcends differences. That yes, is empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet practically also requires A whole load of intentionality of actually setting your heart that you might carry in your heart someone that might be a sister if you're a brother or vice versa. Someone that might come from a completely different economic or ethnic background as your own. Someone that might be single if you are married or married if you are single. Someone that might be decades older than you or decades younger than you. But where you are giving your heart to one another, where you're caring with fondness and familiarity in your lives. People whom you have learned to love and committed to love affectionately by the power of of Jesus Christ. What can that look like here in this room and beyond? Who do you need today to say, hey, I'm going to set my heart, not just in spending time with this person, not just simply in giving to this person, but actually praying for inward affection to be cultivated. That I might really, with deep integrity, start to call them in my heart beloved and maybe even verbally where I start to, in my life, start to give them physical affection that expresses what I truly feel towards them. Affection that transcends lines, that cuts across all kinds of barriers. Lastly, and thirdly, how, not just what is affection, what is it, not just who should we apply it towards, but thirdly, what do we see in this passage about how we can do it? What are some of the ingredients that we see in how Paul is interacting with people. What is it that gives birth to this sort of engagement, these sorts of relationships? Five things. I'm going to move very quickly through these, and we'll be finished up in a second. Number one, the most obvious thing, names. (laughs) Loads and loads and loads and loads of names. It starts there, doesn't it? Do you know people by name? Do you care to know who they are? Are you slowing down enough to carry people as individuals in your life and in your heart? As one scholar, Thomas Schreiner, puts it, the Christian gospel was not a cause or ideology that trampled over the personhood of individuals. Rather, here in this passage, we see the apostle illustrating for us just how important and powerful it is to love people, by their name. I thought it was a meaningful thing actually to read online Questlove from that great group from Philly, The Roots, uh, when he gave a little testimonial, as, as a lot of people were, upon hearing about the death of Robin Williams. And he shared this story, and maybe you saw it yourself too. He's the drummer of The Roots, but the very first time that he met Robin Williams, which was a very, very short encounter in an elevator, in fact, in 2001 at the Grammys. And this is what Questlove uh, uh, wrote about that encounter. He said, uh, Robin Williams, he, he, he name checked all of us in the elevator during the 2001 Grammys. They'd never met before. He said, You know, sometimes when you put 20 hour days in, you start to think that it's for naught and that it goes thankless. You know, Grammy time, especially, is somewhat of a dark time simply because you just walk around asking yourself if it's worth it or not, all the sweat and blood. I just felt like, despite winning the Grammy the year before, no one really cared all that much for little minions, except for a select few, especially in this environment. If you're not a strong character, you run the risk of letting it get to you. So we're walking backstage, Questlove writes, and we had to ride the elevator, and we piled inside when suddenly this voice just said, and you can almost hear Mr. Williams saying it, Questlove, Black Thought. Rozelle, the roots from Philadelphia. That's right, you walked on this elevator saying to yourself, Ain't no way this old white dude knows my history and my entire discography. We laughed so hard. That never happened to us before. Someone, a legend, acknowledged us and really knew who we were. His son put him onto us. Man, it was a small two minute moment in real life, but that meant the world to me. There are people in this room, there are always people in life who are being run down by the world. You may not be in contention for a Grammy, but you're sitting there feeling like you put yourself out there and nobody is noticing and nobody cares. And so that others of you have that two minute opportunity to know a name, to learn a name, to call out a name, and maybe give someone a reason to say it meant the world to me at the time to be known and loved like that names names number two stories you see again and again the apostle reciting not just names but then he goes on to describe well who who these people were uh, this person who was a co worker with me, we labor together. This other person who suffered with me in prison. This, this other person who's my fellow Jew. And, and this other person and stories that would just pop into his mind, into his heart. Do you know people and their stories? A little bit of extra something in your hearts. Do you know that is exactly what starts to ignite this kind of affection? Because you start to know a little bit about who they are and especially what God has been to them in their lives, their testimonies. Where you love them as you see God has loved them because you've taken the time to hear a story. Number three, mission. Again and again where Paul refers to people as his co-workers in the gospel, fellow workers, partners. You've experienced this. Have you ever gone into a work project, maybe for a weekend or maybe to South America or maybe down the street where you're going through this big challenge of maybe building a house or constructing something or or helping another person out and there's something about being on mission together. There's something about working side by side, not just staring at each other, not just talking me to you and you to me, binds our hearts together. That somehow when we're committed to the same thing outside of ourselves, it actually draws us inwardly inside of ourselves to one another in affection. Sometimes the best way for you to grow in affection with a person is not simply to sit face to face with each other, though that's important, but to work side by side. Who are you serving with? You say, well, how do I get into lives like you're talking about here today, maybe one of the best ways is for you to join a team. To be a part of a ministry in the church. To help carry chairs or pass out bulletins or help cook food or help to care for kids in the neighborhood. All these different ways. By leaning on each other and partnering together, you're in each other's hearts caring one another. Fourthly, suffering. How many times Paul refers to these dear people as co-sufferers who risk their lives for one another, verse 4. Who were in prison together with me, in verse 7. Because when we hurt together, maybe even weep together, does it not teach us how to love one another? Where you actually care about the person in their pain and in their woundedness. Where you're walking alongside each other, bearing burdens together. This room is full of unseen burdens. If you could just imagine the stuff going on in your life that you know about, that you know other people, or maybe just a few people know about, and multiply that by however many people there is in this room, it's a lot of junk. And it's really heavy. You start to carry it together. You start to share with one another. You start to invite that burden-bearing project in, into your life, into one another's life. The way in which that cultivates, even ignites a heart of loving affection towards one another. And lastly, lastly not just names and stories and mission and suffering, but what creates affection here is the Lord Jesus himself. Time and again, four times, Paul describes his friends as being in Christ, five times his friends being in the Lord. That you are learning to see one another's, another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and if brothers and sisters in Christ, then therefore fellow sinners saved by grace. You might have hurt me, but I know I've hurt you. You might require me to forgive you, but I know you need to forgive me too. I might be able to see sin and flaws in your life, but I'm even more aware of the sin and flaws in my life, and Jesus forgave me completely. How can I not do the same for you? God has poured out his affection upon my life, not just loving me, but affectionately caring for me, how can I not do the same thing for you? We stand on common ground. We stand as a family. We stand as people called into affectionate relationships with one another. By the grace of the gospel, can we, shall we, be and better become a church community like that? Let's pray. Jesus, we're asking for your help, because as we said, This is a supernatural thing, not just a natural thing. We need the spirit of Jesus. We need your loving care and affection to change our hearts. Teach us to do this. Make it a joy. And bear fruit. We want to be like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand together.